0: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where good taste and bad taste collide. Loudly, too. That, that, was, that was a good one. It was yes. a good one. Um, mm. Happened just outside, just outside the apartment. Totally we,
1: different explosion than usual. Very loud this time.
0: We, we live by a very clumsy airport and there's crashes frequently and we <laughs> oh my time God. our podcasts. I thought you were going to say we live so. next to
1: an explosion factory.
0: <laughs> there you go for where the, the climax of most action films
1: take yeah, place. You know, like in Blade Runner yeah. when they're like driving past all of those, or flying past and all there's those like buildings, big bursts like of big flame, bursts yeah. of flame, and I'm just like, what are you doing in there? The whole building is just a giant hot
0: rod. Like, it's where about do you to think, take off. Where do
1: you think flame comes from? It comes. It's the flame have have to build factory. They have, to build, <laughs> they
0: have to ship in illicit flame ingredients. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic. I write for Slash Film. Uh, with me, as always, is
1: my uh, intelligent co-host, uh, yes, uh, I'll, I'll just take the compliment this week. Uh, my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Uh, I write for several outlets, including Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibbs. And uh, this week, Uncritically Acclaimed, uh, it's Labor Day weekend. That's usually a pretty slow weekend uh, for movie releases. Hmm. Oh. People tend to not go to the movie theaters so much and spend like the last week before. School starts with their families, although... There's not a lot of high-profile releases yeah. that come out, like, right at the beginning of September. Yeah. It's it's uncommon. However, the one of the movies this week actually made a lot of money, so, you know, maybe that tide is shifting. Uh, but this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing uh, the new action movie sequel, The Equalizer 3, the new documentary about 1990s straight-to-video erotic thrillers We Kill for Love, and a film that Whitney saw, and I didn't, and I actually don't know anything about it, called Fremont. I'll tell you all about Fremont. You sure will. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as usual, we like to start with the the more prominent release, and uh, this week... That is definitely the Equalizer three. Yeah, the
0: Equalizer three. Uh, It's the third of the Equalizers, Mm. as you can tell by the title. Uh, Actually, it's Uh, the fifth because there was the TV series,
1: two movies, the Queen Latifah series, which is unrelated to this one, as I understand Mm. it, and now Equalizer three. Equalizer three. Yeah,
0: fair. You know what? Yeah, I appreciate the thoroughness. Yeah, Uh, it's the third to star Denzel Washington and to be directed by Antoine Fuqua. However, power couple. Uh, uh, this is their fifth film that they've made together
1: because... Uh, they did Training Day. Training Day and did? he did uh, Magnificent Seven. Oh, that's and right. Antoine, that was,
0: Antoine Fuqua did that That
1: movie of, was uh, fine but I always forget it exists. It has this huge cast. Uh, yeah. It was like James Horner's last score or something like that. It's this big movie. It made money. Yeah, Don't I, remember it at all. And you know what? I gotta say, that's kind of how
0: I feel about Antoine Fuqua in general. Yeah.
1: He's,
0: he's a mu- he started with music videos. Yeah. His first feature uh, came in the 90s. He did that film with Chow Yun-Fat called The Replacement Killers. And that was supposed uh, to be like
1: Chow Yun-Fat's big introduction to America. Mm. It's okay. It's more style than substance. Uh, and, that's,
0: and there's Antoine Fuqua for you. Yeah, a little bit, a- yeah. Antoine Fuqua has worked with many different cinematographers in his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he... He's worked with some pretty prestigious uh, Mm -hmm. cinematographers. And in fact, uh, Robert Richardson shot Equalizer 3. Robert Richardson
1: Uh, is one of the best cinematographers ever. Yeah,
0: like he's worked with uh, Scorsese Scorsese, and Quentin Tarantino and shot uh, several Oliver Stone movies. Uh, He shot uh, A Few Good Men. He shot Mm -hmm. uh, Dudes. The Penelope Penelis movie.
1: Uh, he has worked with Fuqua before and they did that Will Smith Mm. movie last year called Emancipation, which which Which, was like, a straight to Apple plus. It was an Apple TV plus movie. Yeah. Um, Uh, but yeah, point
0: being he's, he's worked with uh, Ralph or Ralph Richardson. Yeah. He's worked (laughs) with, he's worked with Ralph Pramden. (laughs) He's worked with Robert Richardson and on this film, he's worked with a bunch of different cinematographers. He has cinematographers he works with on the regular, Mm -hmm. uh, and his films always look like shit. Oh, I, I don't know about I, don't, that. N- I don't like the way he has directed his DPs to shoot movies because he tends to, uh, like desaturate the light. Yeah, he likes So there's that a lot, like there's yeah. no like real specific light source. There's no outdoor sunny days. Even no, in outdoor scenes, there no. doesn't seem to be sunlight. The, the in
1: one that. exception uh, is Training Day, which appears to be set in a boiler. Like, yeah, because because it, like it's and LA it's, and it's hot, right? It so everything's got to kind of, be orange, and it's
0: that kind of like artificial grain added to the oh, yeah. photography, yeah, which it very doesn't, doesn't really. It was very of its time, it was stylish, but it doesn't look good. Very of its time, uh, yeah. and that keep for me that keeps a lot of Antoine Fuqua's films at a bit of a distance, just because mm-hmm. visually mm-hmm. they don't feel
1: uh, like there's any real realism in them. There's no grit. There's well, no actual help. realism isn't necessarily important, but I think I think in the case of Fuqua, mm. uh, who has mostly made thrillers. Uh, Mostly, yeah. Mostly. Mostly uh, action pictures. Yeah, yeah. A a few exceptions here and there. Um, I think Fuqua is... I feel like what he's getting at is what we call uh, usually grit. Like mm. something, there's like, a, it not, it's not too polished or shiny, right? It's all rough and tumble. But in, the, in his yeah. case, it's very literal. Like there's, yeah. there's
0: grit up on the screen. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I'm looking over Fuqua's filmography just to make sure I wasn't forgetting mm. any movies. And, I mean, and he's, he's quite prolific. He's quite he's prolific. Yeah, he, made he makes a movies a lot. And, um, you know, there's the only movie Antoine Fuqua has ever directed that I thought was great. It's a movie you don't like very much, mm. but I think Training Day is great uh I'm, I'm not alone on that i'm not special
0: no no I, but I'm, I'm kind of the outlier yeah. in that I, I like i think denzel washington gives a great performance denzel
1: Washington gives a great performance i think ethan hawk is a great performance i think the screenplay is very very strong is that, um i disagree but i actually think that's a really good movie um he's made a, a couple of movies i haven't seen like i never saw southpaw mm-hmm. and he's made a couple of thrillers that i thought were fine like shooter is fine. Shooter's an airport. It's it's a it's, a, fine. it's yeah. an airport movie. It's, yeah. it's a good. I literally watched it on an airplane, w- perfect, which is a great right place spot to it. Yeah. yeah. Um. But like, he's made a lot of movies that like should be a bigger deal. He did that King Arthur movie in two thousand and four, mm. uh, which was well regarded at the time, but then mm-hmm. people kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Uh, he did uh, the Magnificent Seven, which again, you know, people were said was basically okay, but when you're remaking. The critically acclaimed remake of one of the most critically acclaimed movies ever made, Seven mm-hmm. Samurai... Okay is not just okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, but then in 2021, he made that Paramount Plus movie Infinite.
1: Oh, it was which
0: awful. Is visible, So, oh my God. I, I run hot like, and cold. What of the old yeah, guard,
1: but stupid? Yeah,
0: I run hot and cold, more
1: colds than hot, with Antoine Foucault. For me, it's interesting because I've, I've I've even interviewed Antoine Fuqua, he's an intelligent guy, and like well, I have seen an him see... him in interview, he's, yeah. he's he's he's
0: in, uh, yeah, he's, it's fine. He's, he's a thoughtful filmmaker. He thinks about what he's doing. I, I think he, he does. So, yeah. I
1: just think he, for it, maybe it's his taste who can say. But the majority of his films are, they average out to just, okay. In fact, I actually made this joke in my review of The Equalizer 3. The Equalizer is literally, the title literally means that which makes things average. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it, yeah.
1: This is all going to equalize out, okay? This is all going to so, be, uh, and, and I'm looking at The Equalizer movies, which, again, Denzel Washington's only ever made two sequels in his entire career and they're both equalizer movies mm-hmm. there's something about this he likes I don't know why I think he uh, he I think he likes the character
0: yeah I think uh, like a lot of actors he likes to be seen as a badass sure um, look over Denzel Washington's filmography how often is he played like a sniveling cowardly character he doesn't That's, do that, that a no no he tends it's very to play rare. very yeah. confident characters or, yeah. or he, even if he's playing a character like Roman J Israel who's like a little bit uh, mm-hmm. withdrawn mm-hmm. he at least is expert in something and is yeah. resolute about something that's true that's um, true he definitely has a so, persona he likes to so you know yeah. he, here he is he gets to play this kind of legacy character from the tv show mm-hmm. and he gets to kick ass
1: and murder a bunch of people and yeah. look really tough doing it and he's 60 so great i guess i, guess I just uh, don't understand I, i'm always the one thing i kept expecting denzel washington to do mm-hmm. and it can't be the filmmaker because he ended up working with the filmmaker at least one or two more times uh was he made he starred in devil in a blue dress yeah, which is carl carl one of the best movie, yeah. carl franklin brilliant filmmaker carl franklin should have been a lot of easy Rollins movies should have so. been a lot of easy Rollins movies it's based on a series of novels by walter mosley it's about a black private detective they're great I, I, i've only read a few of them but they're great and like i've, I've read the books i've just seen the movie yeah I, I read devil a in a blue movie. dress and i i read one of the later ones and i forget which one but um they're great why didn't we have more of those? I know that movie didn't make a th- ton of money, but it's I mean, it was, so well respected. It's like a little
0: indie picture. You'd, it wasn't, yeah, it didn't
1: think, knock, knock doors over. You'd think that Denzel could have like gotten some money because hmm. they're not super expensive movies either. I don't know. That one always weirded me up. So we made a bunch of equalizer movies. The first equalizer movie is fine. Hmm. That's it. That's as far as I'm going to he, go. He used to be like a spy, he's, badass, serial killer, he's, he's assassin ex, for the government.
0: I think he, I think he's like an ex-marine and yeah. uh, became sort of like a, a freelance drifter, like Renegade mm. or the Incredible yeah. Hulk.
1: Well, he, but he but the Renegade and the Incredible Hulk and all of those, you know... The, dr- the helpful got, drifter yeah.
0: genre t- of TV, yeah. which is really big in the 70s and 80s. It's what
1: Samuel L. Jackson said he was going to do at the end of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff happens to them all the time. In The Equalizer, the first Equalizer, he retired from the business, mm-hmm. and his wife had died, and that was very sad, and he was trying to live a really quiet life. He worked at a big box store like Walmart right, or right. Home Depot or something, and he happened to befriend at this cafe he kept going to uh, oh uh, a, a young woman who was a sex worker played by Chloe Grace Moretz. And she was uh, working for the Russian Mafia. The Russian Mafia, like, beat her up. I forget why. And he said, okay, well, I guess the entire Russian Mafia has to be killed today. And he goes and kills the entire Russian Mafia all by himself. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's an okay action movie. They followed it up with The Equalizer 2. And there's only two things I remember about The Equalizer 2. Which I thought was pretty subpar. Uh, One, the bad guy turned out to be someone he used to work with. I don't care. Uh, right. And then two, the climax took place, it's a shootout in the middle of a hurricane, and it's so... Oh, that's right. The, these, uh, other, the... these other movies are actually pretty, like, muted in their presentation of action, and that was so over the top, I, I found it comical. Uh,
0: the actual plot, I didn't remember much of in yeah. uh, Equalizer 2, um, and and the action was yeah. so so. Yeah. Uh there was a scene early in The Equalizer 2 where a bunch of like disrespectful frat guys like who were up to no good and were abusing mm. people. He that was a good scene. He broke into like their high-rise condo and mm. he killed one of them with like the edge of his platinum credit card. I remember that scene. I, you're right that uh, was
1: a good scene. I can't so, believe I forgot that. So yeah, that's he, that's maybe the best scene so in all sl- The Equalizer slashing
0: movies. Slashing Chad's throat with a credit <laughs> card. Was well, a pretty good. I, and, think and, he's,
1: I think he's an Uber driver in that one Uber too. Driver, I, when yeah, he leaves, so he just, he's just like leave a five star review. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Could you please leave a five star review? Um,
0: and I, but what I liked about the Equalizer too, and here's what I remember about it uh-huh. was, uh, you know, he's sort of this vigilante. He'll you know kill people, but he's yeah. also a, a, a strong member of his community. He yeah. believes in community. Yeah. And there's scenes in The Equalizer, too, where he's doing things like cleaning graffiti off of buildings. And he befriends a young sort of at-risk youth played by the actor from Moonlight. Mm. uh and he's like you know what we're gonna do you're not gonna d- hang out with these dangerous drug dealers anymore because you're yeah. just gonna become a drug dealer <clears throat> we're gonna start a book club yeah you're gonna read ta Coates and you're gonna read <laughs> wb du bois like you're gonna have some <laughs> read these books and know a little bit about history and have some yeah. respect for yourself god damn it like i like those scenes i, I actually
1: forgot about that right, but right. that is that is good i like that and yeah. i and i the, all of these movies are about how he's just trying to like he's not trying to like hide he's not like the Wolverine, where he's like living in the woods, trying not to yeah. connect with humanity. He's trying to be a part of humanity, yeah, and but bro- in a very casual, unremarkable way. And uh, sort of bonding with the
0: community is a big part of the Equalizer Three. Yeah. And uh, this is his retirement movie. This is clearly uh, they're trying to
1: end the series. They're trying yeah.
0: to they're trying to end the series. Uh, clearly. Denzel Washington wanted to have a, an Italian vacation. Mm-hmm. I think everybody just wanted to go to Italy. Oh, I, I, have a, uh, I have a
1: story about that, but I'll wait a minute. Okay. Yeah.
0: But uh, yeah, in, in this one, uh, similar to the first one where he killed the Russian mob, this mm-hmm. time he's going to kill the Sicilian mob. Yeah. I, I, My theory, I had a theory that
1: um, at the end of this movie, there's no mob left. I, I have like, that same theory. Because <laughs> seriously, he's such an efficient actor. Killer, like we. And there's a sequence at the beginning, and we mostly see it through flashbacks later, mm-hmm. where he's killed like literally dozens of people all by himself. And then later in the movie, they, like it climaxes with the scene where he also kills dozens of people all by himself. And they're all like and, higher ups in the local law. Yeah, and these yeah, are all yeah. people who are like genuinely like everyone's like really afraid of them, and they've got the whole city wrapped under their thumb. These are these are not amateurs. These are like tough people who ordinarily would be the ones you would assume would win in an, mm-hmm. an altercation like this. In the universe of the Equalizer, is it Robert McCall's his name, right? Yeah, Robert McCall. Robert is McCall is so, as we would say in the in video games, OP, overpowered. Yeah, like to to an absurd degree, that the only re- reason why there is any crime left on the planet, the only justification is he's lazy. Because he killed the entire mafia. <laughs> this, this uh, Generations, multiple generations. Mm. Organized crime families spreading. Killed the entire one in a weekend. Mm. If he wanted to, he could clean <laughs> up the entire planet. Assuming you're okay with vigilante justice, obviously. But the movie assumes you are. Mm-hmm. So if we accept that premise, that he is that powerful, and he can get that much done that quickly... He's a slacker. <laughs> it's the only explanation. Well, he, he likes to relax. He's got vacation on his mind.
0: Uh, his excuse in this movie is that he gets shot in the back right at the beginning of the movie. And he yeah. a, uh, And here's what I like about this movie. Yeah. And kind of the, the Equalizer movies in general is that there actually is a lot of downtime. Yeah. And they're not blistering balls to the wall action. They're not
1: desperate to get your attention. Ooh. They're actually like in much more action movies in the 70s mold mm. where it's like, a character piece and there's a couple of shootouts
0: yeah, yeah but the
1: shootouts are hopefully exciting enough that it still feels like an action well movie. i mean right at
0: the beginning he stabs a guy in the eye socket with the barrel of his gun like he shoot, yeah pushes the gun into the guy's eye and then shoots, and then shoots a bullet him. like out through the back of his skull into another yeah. person
1: like i've seen rob it's, zombie pretty, deaths that aren't that gory. it's,
0: it's pretty brutal yeah, yeah. They, they don't shy away from the blood it's super yeah. rated. Uh, but yeah, he gets shot in the back. Uh, he's taken to this uh, local country doctor, is mm-hmm. a kindly
1: it's old man. It's a town called Altamont. Which uh, look that up. It is a beautiful place. And, it's a uh, really pretty town. Uh, and I like to think that Denzel Washington like called on Benoit. <clears throat> it's like we got to mm. shoot here. But hey, yeah. we're, we're shooting here
0: today, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, okay, like most of the movie takes and, uh, place in this
1: little tiny beautiful and then ancient town in Sicily. And then
0: there's like maybe a. 40 minutes, like a long yeah. portion of the oh, movie. Oh, I think where, Yeah, a, a big long portion of the movie where he is just
1: recovering mm-hmm. and getting to know the people in this little town. Yeah, he could, there's a couple of, like, he's getting to know people, he's, like, starts dating some woman who owns a cafe a little bit. Uh, but I'm he's sure just they're dating, but they're kind of yeah, start flirting. A little you get bit, the impression yeah. that if it goes on long enough, they'll date. Yeah. But he like, there's definitely the an lo- attraction. Befriends the local fishmonger, yeah. uh, and and there's yeah. there's all these moments where because the movie wants to rem- remember this is an equalizer movie. Uh, the mafia is the mafia, the mafia is actually mostly in I think Italy or in a bigger city in Sicily, but the head of the mafia has his little brother in this little town, just doing goon shit. Well, just, they just, actually
0: explain partway through yeah. the movie. Uh, yeah. The goon shit is trying to scare small businesses out so they can... Uh, buy up the property. S- buy up the properties yeah. and open, like, garish casinos. Yeah, so it, that's, if that's they want to gentrify
1: plan. Altamont. Uh, Robert McCall keeps walking past this guy as he's, like, punching a fishmonger. Mm. Saying, like, hey, where's my protection money? I don't feel protected! Mm-hmm. Where's my protection money? And Robert McCall, because he's recently been shot in the back and he's walking with a cane, he can't really do anything about it. Mm. And it's like that scene in Jason X... Where or where he picks he, up one camper and beats n- the
0: other camper to death? No,
1: it's like it's like in Jason X, where he's like comatose, like he's he's like still frozen on a table. Uh-huh. But then two people have premarital sex in a room near him, and he suddenly jolts awake, like he can <laughs> sense his equalizer senses tingling, uh-huh. like and he has to fight the urge to kill because he. Get, it reminded me actually of there's a wonderful series of Japanese movies called Zatoichi yes uh which are, and there's like dozen like it's like two dozen of them and i haven't seen every single one but every single one i've seen is great uh he's a traveling samurai he's blind and he's also a masseuse and a gambler and those are a lot of fun character traits and they always find something cool for him to do he's got a sword hidden in his cane that's his like that's his stick that's his, mm, his cane that's sword, his captain yeah. america shield that's like his iconic weapon There's one of the movies, it's like the 14th or 15th one, so we're familiar with the formula by now, where at the beginning of the movie, he goes into a town, someone's cheating at gambling, and he has to kill a couple of guys. And the guy whose life he just saved says, I am an expert sword maker, and I learned how to make swords from the person who made your sword. May I look at it, please? And he looks at the sword and says, there's a flaw in your sword, and if you use it one more time, it will shatter. And for the rest of the movie, Zatoichi has to go through all of his usual action movie motions, trying not to use his sword, trying Mm. not to use violence. And you know, there's going to come a point in the movie where he has to use it, but he always fights like 12 guys at the same time. And if he uses it once, he's screwed. And it's really good tension because you know... You know Robert McCall Wants to kill these guys (laughs) And you know For a little while He can't I think the ultimate insult Of Altamont is um, You know He's got a cane He's literally shot In the back Can't walk real good Apparently this city Is composed entirely Of stairs Mm. Like I have a bad knee I'm looking at this city I'm going I want to visit But Uh I can't (laughs)
0: I mean, it was built up into an actual yeah. cliff. That's the. Way oh, it, I know. That's it, it, not just set design. That's actual. I oh, know. I'm just saying it's the interesting city planning. Yeah, I, I uh, read an article where Antoine Fuqua had to like he and his camera crew like had to climb so many stairs, yeah. to be able to like stop and vomit. They were so unused to that, kind of, that level of physical uh, activity.
1: Yeah, um, I, I interviewed uh, Denzel Washington and Antoine Fuqua mm-hmm. for the first Equalizer, and I forget how we talked about it, but I made a point that you know, you, you you should play an Italian sometime. And yeah. he was like, oh, that would be funny. And Antoine Fuqua says, yeah, you should play a Sicilian. And now they're doing this. this yeah. And so I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I incepted that. You, you did. You, 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 planted, all, you planted the seed. This one might be on me, folks. Sorry about that.
0: Well, you know what? I, I, I will compliment you because I don't think this film very, very, is that bad at all. In fact, yeah. uh, of, of the three, it's the plainest. It's the most efficient and hence the most memorable. Uh, um, it, I feel like it it's pretty sort of effective, actually. Functions the best as an action picture. Yeah, it's not. It's it's the opposite of creative. It's formulaic. No, no, is crazy. It's crazy. Um, yeah. But uh, Denzel Washington is such a good actor. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll, he, he's one of those read the phone book actors for me. I, yeah, he's, he, he's he can of, make anything interesting. He's, he's kind of one of my favorites. So I he, I, he dumps I like, a
1: tea bag in one scene of this movie and he makes it interesting. I'm like, yeah. how did you do that? There
0: was a scene where uh, and. Poor um, Dakota Fanning is in oh, yeah. this, and she plays boring CIA agent number four. Uh, yeah. She's the main one of the main characters, but she has no personality. She has no uh, personality, and, and she has nothing to
1: do, actually. She's and in like,
0: fact, she repeats his dialogue to I, other people
1: word for word. Yeah, he tells her something, she tells someone else that thing, and they say, Oh, great, thanks, you're really good at this job. And that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Like... You keep but expecting it, that to pay off in some way. And the only payoff we get really is just her being in the movie because they were in Man on Fire together when little, she was a little kid. Little and, reunion, yeah. and they're very, they're great in Man on Fire. And there's like, a, there's, a, they're only in like three scenes together in this movie. There a couple of times I talk on the phone. There's one scene where they're at a cafe and both of them look like they're having fun well, they're just <laughs> having fun acting together. Yeah. Well,
0: and, uh, but what I was going to bring up is the, the sort of little things that mm. Denzel Washington brings into it. I, I think because Dakota Fanning was directed to play sort of like a steely, serious character, she couldn't yeah. bring a lot of quirk to
1: her character. No, there's, there's so, nothing, um, there's nothing for her to work with. But, yeah.
0: uh, but Robert McCall is talking to her and he needs to sort of like lean over. He reaches over like you do at a restaurant he just pulls a chair up yeah. close to him. Just so he can put his elbow on it. Yeah. There's no armrests Just on the chair. Just good business. So, yeah. Lots of good business. So, I, I, yeah. I, those little character moments,
1: yeah. you know, kind of stand out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I like the other thing I like about this movie is because I mentioned like in the Equalizer two, it ends in this like absurdly over the top sequence, which hmm. a lot of action movies do. They figure we've we, got to escalate, right? And yeah, so you th- got to this is got to be the biggest scene in the movie. Yeah. The, and, the big climax. And, and some movies get away with that. Hard boiled ends with one of the biggest action sequences ever conceived and that's that movie. So it's and it starts with one of the biggest action movies ever conceived. And in the middle, there's one of the biggest action sequences ever conceived. That's just a movie of excess, and it kind of works in that environment. Mm. The Equalizer movies are more aren't really about that. Again, they're mostly like character pieces with some action in it. So that really rang false with me in The Equalizer 2. And I really appreciate that Equalizer 3 doesn't end with like huge shootouts or explosions or chase scenes or anything it ends and i, I don't want to like give it away but it basically ends more like a horror movie and a way that's like kind of Ro- satisfying robert
0: mccall is the monster and yeah like, like stalk
1: and kill a bunch like of bad you, guys you've done this thing and now i have to be like michael myers killing mafiosos right. great pitch
0: and yeah and, and what happens to like the central bad guy who's of course named vincent uh-huh. um
1: is pre- is pretty great let me look up the. Oh, very we we haven't mentioned man.
0: any of the Italian
1: actors' names. Yeah. Um, uh, well, most but... of them have anything to do. The guy who plays the cop. Yeah. I forget the he, the character's name is Gio. I forget the actor's uh, name.
0: Eugenio
1: uh, Must. must Ma- Mastra- Andrea is his name. Uh, this the, the actor's fine. This character is one of the most pathetic gets, characters I've so, ever seen in any so action shit movie. Honest, he, he saves Denzel Washington's life. Hmm. And then he his family gets roughed up in front of him. He gets the shit kicked out of himself in front of his family. He gets like humiliated in front of an entire town. He gets like his ears shot off. These are all separate scenes. Like throughout the movie, this guy can do no right. Like everything he does is just destroying him. And it gets pathetic after a while. Like you start feeling really bad for him. Um Yeah, so, um, but yeah, no, I actually, I mostly like this. I think this is a a solid, relatively mature, formulaic, but Hmm. relatively mature thriller. Denzel Washington's good in it, Dakota Fanning is completely wasted in it, and that's just sad honestly like it, honestly she doesn't even need to be in the movie like she does he, he does most of the work she doesn't really do anything like he reports it back to the government yeah. but it feels we like, don't need that subplot it feels it's, like they yeah. just wanted to work together again and so they invented an excuse and hmm. I guess that's okay but it's kind of a waste of time Yeah, at least the audience's time um so um but yeah no I, I, I dig this one I think this is a, this is easily the best equalizer movie yeah uh, it's not amazing but it's better than the first one and i kind of like the first one and it's a lot better than the second one which a few me- a few good scenes aside ultimately mm. i didn't think worked yeah um mm.
0: it, it is it is kind of frustrating that uh there's so little to say about something like the yeah it's, it's, it feels like an episode of a show This should be like this happened this week and yeah, then it, they move on uh, but i i appreciate the the sort of trimness of it um mm-hmm. I, I remember when john wick First came out the first John Mm. Wayne and how uh, how efficient
1: it felt. Oh yeah, it was
0: like we were so used to these big high profile myth heavy kind of action pictures, and here was something that was pretty simple, it was pretty stripped down. And
1: then they turned it into something.
0: Morning assassin, a morning assassin Mm. uh, is is attacked by gangsters. He kills the gangsters. Uh, they yeah. kill his dog. That's yeah. the ultimate crime. And therefore, the, he and, has an excuse to
1: kill everyone they they've had, ever yeah, met.
0: And they had one little bit of interesting mythology that they sort of hinted at, mm-hmm. which made gave the film a little little extra twist. A little where, flavor. Where, okay, and there's a hotel, and it's for assassins. Oh, isn't that interesting? That's fun. And yeah, then they started making more and more of these things. By the time we get to part four, it's three hours long. Yeah. You know, there's so much mythology, you don't know what
1: who is working yeah. for what side anymore. Yeah, it got, a, got, a, got... It got... Pretty ridiculous by the second half of John Wick Two, yeah, yeah. Like by the second half of John. Like well,
0: when, yeah. at the end of John Wick Two, when they revealed everyone in New York was an assassin, it's like, yeah. what, what? What are we doing here anymore?
1: What? Did, what how are you, you? You all have to have other jobs, right? Like you all have. There's can't possibly be there's, that there's, much work. There's to more go assassins around. than victims at yeah, that
0: point. How but. do you? Okay. Um. So, uh, it it is refreshing that a series is continuing, and it's actually kind of following an old sequel pattern where mm-hmm. things get like less thrill frills as we go along mm-hmm. and, and, and and i think with the yeah. equalizer that's been in its service yeah. i feel like they're getting better as they go along yeah. not that i want they're... more i'm, no, I'm, I'm th- God. i'm good, good. They, they closed it off We're if you want to enough.
1: do a queen latifah movie i'm down but other than that uh,
0: antoine fuqua said he'll only make another one if denzel comes to him and says okay. I, I i want to do another but uh, i'm not sure if he will I, uh, uh that's now, fine <laughs> But clearly these two like working together. Sure, why uh, not? Enjoy yourselves. From, from what I, from what I can tell, Antoine Fuqua is just a relentlessly decent guy. who's probably really mm-hmm. great to work with. I'm sure he is. Which is probably why he gets so many directing jobs. Mm-hmm. I think he directed like two or three films in, in 2021. Like, he works a yeah. lot. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of his, yeah, but he, I'm a fan of this makes, one. And yeah, uh, this I, one's I, solid. I, I think, yeah, this one's just a a good straightforward action picture for the end of the summer.
1: Yeah. Uh, For an end of summer movie, this is quite strong. And
0: it's only astonishing when you sort of compare it to the glut of a lot of the other action films on other side of it. Mm. Uh, If if you want something like this though, I wish you could just go to your local video store. If you had one, Mm. go to the action picture, find anything made from like 1982 to 1987. Mm. uh, Any, anyone. And you haven't heard of it. Maybe it has Cameron Mitchell in it. And, uh, Throw that on, you'll probably get a pretty similar experience. Who was
1: who was um, the Warrior of the Lost World again? Something Ginty. Oh, Robert Ginty. Robert he's, Ginty. Who's the Gintiest. yeah, yeah. Find something Robert the, Ginty the was pa- in that wasn't Paper Chase or Warrior of the Lost guy. World. Yeah. Or 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 uh, anything uh, Charles Bronson was in in the seventies. There you go. There you go. Like uh, like uh, like the mechanic, the original mechanic, the good mechanic. Not not the Jason Statham the mechanic. No, I mean that one's okay. It's mostly okay because Ben Foster plays the Jan Michael Vincent role. No, which yeah. that's actually an upgrade <laughs> like you watch, watch anything with ben foster he's made yeah. some stinkers but he's always great. he's always good yeah um, Alright well let's move on uh, what, what do you want to talk about do you want to talk about the film I saw the film you saw Tell me about these erotic thrillers Because okay. there's, there's a lot of ground to cover there Yeah it's a lot of ground to cover And the movie wants to cover a lot of it It's two hours and 40 minutes long Which is about right. twice the length Of any of the movies that it's talking about I was about to about. say <laughs> si- 60 of those minutes are devoted entirely to Shannon Tweed uh, Not as much as you'd think actually oh. um, In fact she's probably the most prominent person They didn't get mm. Which is a bummer uh, but some like, of you might not like know what they we're did, talking
0: they didn't about. did interview Jen and Tweet, uh, or...
1: I, I assume they tried, but they didn't. Um, or they didn't use it. I don't know. Um, the 1990s were an interesting decade for cinema. We talk a lot about the independent movie boom, for example. You know, the rise of CGI and uh, blockbuster filmmaking. Uh, you know, the, the irony wave after Scream. A lot of interesting things going on. But one of the things that was also going on was due to the incredible prevalence in the 80s, and 90s of video stores like uh, you, you probably know the big chains blockbuster hollywood video but there were also your various mom and pops wherever you lived and, and, um, and only the mom and pops mm, carried the porn that's true and this is actually this is relevant mm. um when video stores first yeah that, came that wasn't at, me just being flipped no no, no that, this that, is that, significant. That, that's significant yeah, that's when video stores first became a major presence and i think they started in like the late 70s but they were really kicked in in the 80s uh, movie studios were actually really slow to mm. get their movies out there on home video, like a lot of them. They had these huge libraries, but they didn't put them all out. And as a result, well, they didn't know if the market was there. They yet. didn't know. So they, they, were, they, they were, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, even, I'm not judging them, but it, this is what happened the movie studios could have filled those shelves right away, mm. but they didn't. And this left a lot of room for smaller movies independent movies straight to video movies to actually not only come out but compete Mm. with those major movies and because those movies had actual scarcity to them you could go to a video store you could go to a video store and say i would like to rent top gun and they'd say i'm sorry we're out of top gun but you still want to watch a movie tonight you drove all the way here
0: maybe we should explain they only had finite video cassettes the big hits like at a local mom and pop maybe they had three copies yeah three other people wanted to see top gun and they got there before they, you they're at other people's houses yeah that's you it. don't get to see that you have to rent something else but you
1: you came all the way here and so what people would usually do and i worked at a video store what they would do is like okay well you didn't have what i wanted a what house. else is here yeah. i'll try something new and people would actually you don't see this as often with streaming you either find what you're looking for or you specifically look for something else. You're not just like stuck with whatever they have and you have to try something new. So people would rent whatever. Mm. And they would rent, and some people would rent like 10 movies a week. Oh, yeah. And they would run through the big stuff because the studios didn't, but not that much. And now it's straight to video land. And there were a lot of low budget horror movies. There were a lot of low budget mm. uh, uh, erotic films. You could get pornography at a store that sold or rented pornography or mom and pop stores, which usually had a pornography section, usually in the back. There was often was a maroon a, cur- curtain. a little curtain they would yeah. in front, hide in front of it. Uh, however, the bigger stores, the blockbusters, didn't carry movies that were X-rated. It was R-rated or you fucked off. Well, and there was a, a there's a, a lot of controversy about yes. that. Um, I...
0: I the rumor at the time was that the owner of Blockbuster Video, like the CEO of the mm-hmm. company, was like a, a yeah. stringently uh, Mormon, uh, anti-sex kind of uh, a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as a result, not only would they not stock pornographic films, mm-hmm. uh, or, or even softcore porno- pornography, couldn't get like even Playboy videos, mm-hmm. uh, they would also edit films without filmmakers' knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. th- this was the rumor, and some people maintain that this is true
1: uh-huh. i've uh, never some actually people... run into that in the wild i have so an i r-rated believe movie. it an r-rated movie what did you run where into?
0: scenes were clearly taken out which, i saw a movie called incubus Okay. About uh, it's like a, a demon that sexually assaults people. That's um, what an incubus is. Yeah, it's like, an incubus. yeah so um, sense, yeah. and there's a, a scene with a librarian who is going to be attacked. So she's like walking around, mm-hmm. and there's spooky music and those camera angles or something is about to attack her. And she walks down an, an aisle, turns a corner, hard cut. She flies through a bookcase, like already having been attacked. Oh, something so they cut happened that, that scene. was cut out. But did they and, did did uh,
1: Blockbuster do that or did someone do that to get it released in America with an R-rating? Blockbuster did that because okay. I looked up Incubus and other cuts of it because this is okay. also
0: something that happened. Because I, I worked for Roger Corman for a long time mm-hmm. and he did this. There were two different versions of his erotic thrillers. Yeah. There was, like, an R-rated, slightly less sexy version, and then then there was the unrated, a little bit sexier version. Yeah. They had different covers. Sometimes there was, like, half-naked lady, then Mm -hmm. then she had, like, a ribbon over the non It's that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, there were different cuts of these movies. Mm -hmm. This movie, Incubus, was clearly chopped up by someone at Blockbuster
1: Video. Okay. Well, anyway, they got us back on track. Mm -hmm. Uh, Blockbuster Video... For example, we'll just use them as the sort of catch-all for the mainstream, because Hollywood Video did the same thing. They also didn't have a porn section. Uh, They didn't sell pornography, but they did rent movies to horny people. (laughs) So they wanted films that would cater to horny people, and so while they wouldn't, no matter what
0: you're getting, you're probably renting to a horny person.
1: Like you're 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 not going to get a film with actual like actual sexual contact in it, Mm. Uh, and you're not going to get one of those Playboy videos with uh, naked women in bubble baths and like walking in slow motion down hallways, spraying
0: themselves off, yeah, stuff.
1: Whatever. Um, But if you couched your eroticism within an actual. Uh, narrative and you took it a little bit seriously you looked like a real movie and then they would release that and there were a lot of filmmakers a lot of young filmmakers a lot of genre filmmakers who were just eager to make movies and ambitious and took that opportunity and these movies had budgets not huge budgets but you could make like one movie for like eight hundred thousand dollars that was like an erotic thriller in mm. 1991 that was going to go straight to video that's a real budget. You can make a real movie. here. We get real actors in it. They would do it. And they would make them en masse. They would release like hundreds a year sometimes. Oh yeah.
0: Because you could shoot these things in yeah. like a couple days in
1: some cases. And then when basic cable was started to, to come in and people would like, I can pay the extra $20 a month to get the Spice Channel. Or I can just stay well, the, up the, past 11. The, 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 spi- the Spice
0: Channel, which was hardcore pornography. It okay? was.
1: It was but it was pay-per-view you had to pay for it extra yeah. for it uh, or I'm already paying for the cable package I could just stay up past 10:30 and watch Cinemax which would show a movie where Shannon Tweed played a sex a therapist rough sex
0: and sex yeah, yeah. Well, she was,
1: she was a sex therapist and someone was killing off her clients I've seen I grew up in the 90s I saw so many erotic thrillers just by staying up late yeah yeah I quite a few of them I saw clips of in this movie the, this movie uh, we kill for love which is about that wave and about that history and explores those movies, the people who made those movies, the stories of how those movies got made, some of which are very fascinating. They explore the many, many, many tropes that are in all of them. Like all of them have someone who drives a red sports car. (laughs) <laughs> everyone everyone like has a details. ceiling fan Like ev- yeah, it's, yeah. Everything takes place in a posh area In Los Angeles Like There's a lot of recurring themes And a lot of the erotic thrillers of the era um, They explore Their commonalities They explore the various themes They explore the concept of erotica And what is the difference between Just erotica and an erotic thriller And they go into great length about how The erotic thriller has Its roots mostly in film noir where people's uh, temptations and vices would lead them astray and into the world of criminality, danger, violence. The femme fatale in the 1940s and 50s, your Barbara Stanwicks, if you will, uh, and how they led directly to films like Body Heat and how films like Body Heat and Dress to Kill by Brian De Palma uh, sort of laid the foundation for the erotic thrillers that would come and, about and, how Fatal um, Attraction I, I led, say, led to the, uh, there, the title
0: format. There's uh, Adrian Lynn, mm. Paul Verhoeven, and mm. Zalman King were like the three big ones. There's a, big, the there's three a big huge
1: lines. section of this movie on Zalman King.
0: Yeah. And, and good Z- with
1: good cause. Zalman yeah. King was a big deal. Um, there's so many of these movies. And, and the tragedy is, listen, I'm not going to pretend most of them are good. Most of them are quite bad. But they are interesting because they represent a lot of uh, sort of social mores or phobias right. of the time i'm gonna say uh, yeah. a,
0: a lot of these uh, erotic thrillers are trying to at least in my experience yeah yeah. and i've, I've seen zelman king movies. Uh, sure i've seen wild orchid
1: mm. i know
0: it's a scandal well zelman king side. didn't really
1: do as many thrillers he did a lot more dramas that's but, true yeah. and you're the,
0: the red shoe diaries is zelman
1: king yeah, yeah, which is an erotic TV, tv series i think on showtime mm. hosted by david, david Dechovny. Dechovny. and he, he stuck with it even when he was doing the x-files
0: yeah, because like he, he was committed. He he believed
1: in that stuff. Yeah. Um.
0: Uh, but they tried to be very frank about sex and tried mm. to be very forthright and open and saying mm. we're we're this is entertainment for adults. Yeah. And we're going to talk about
1: sex in a in a yeah. an adult fashion. The plots are often very directly yeah. about sex. A housewife who feels neglected who enters but, into a forbidden world that kind of thing. Uh,
0: but at the same time, there's a lot of they're not all necessarily sex positive.
1: A lot of them are very
0: kind of tetchy about sex and Mm -hmm. sexuality. And sometimes sexuality was presented as something very, very kind of wicked. Look at something like Mm. basic instinct. Yeah. Um, At the time when basic instinct came out, there was Mm. a lot of complaints Mm. that it was queer phobic, specifically biphobic. And um, uh, the way Sharon stone wielded her sexuality was seen as like kind of weaponized Mm. and a Although people go to that movie and see a very empowered character, uh, what's Catherine, Catherine Tremell is the yeah. character's name. Uh, she's still villainized. Yeah. She, yeah, she's still the villain of the piece, and it's about yeah. the Michael Douglas character and how he is being threatened by her sexuality. Yeah. So uh, well, that, that's, that's a big part of it as well. Um, yeah. I heard a, re- a really interesting conversation with uh, Amy Nicholson and uh, I think it was Heather Matarazzo. Mm. about Fatal Attraction.
1: Yeah, they look, there's a lot and, of Fatal Attraction. And how
0: um, Fatal Attraction was made by a man,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's about the male character. And yeah, it was written by a man. And it was too. written by a man. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the criticism about that, from male critics, mm-hmm. uh, was about the sort of fear of pissing off the woman you're having an affair with it's all yeah. about the man's anxiety yeah,
1: the, the man chose to have an affair mm. and that backfired on him he tasted of the forbidden fruit and now mm. he's being punished by yeah, the universe so yeah
0: that's that's the way that movie was made uh but you listen he has an affair with Glenn close yes uh and hearing uh, amy nicholson and heather materazzo talk about mm-hmm. it they see it entirely from glenn close's perspective uh-huh. why is she drawn to this man why yeah. does she have an affair she's actually wronged by his behavior she is uh he's made certain promises to her, you know, she's presented as this sort of mad harridan in the movie, yeah.
1: but there's actually a lot of justification for her actions. When you look at that movie from the right perspective. It's uh, just not about her. Uh, here's the thing though. And mm-hmm. this is actually something interesting. Fatal attraction. It may not be a straight to video movie, but it's so key to that genre that the, this movie has quite a bit of time on it. Mm-hmm. They interviewed the writer of it okay. who also wrote, there was a, I think it was like a TV movie that it was based on. A lot of the dialogue is exactly the same. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and, uh, Fatal Attraction was a huge hit, and when they, it was one of the, it was, they say in the movie, I don't know how true this is, but it was one of, like, the first, like, big hit movies that had, like, test audiences said this, and so we dramatically changed the ending. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but that's what they say in the film. Um, The original ending of Fatal Attraction, without giving a lot away, uh, was a lot more tragic Mm. the one that we got the ending that was reshot because audiences There's really lure there's a lot of violence there's a lot of violence it, it, it turns into like more of like a slasher movie like right at the end and it becomes more about Glengloss's character being this like demon that's trying to inf- infiltrate this family unit and she has to be like destroyed mm. um that's not what the original ending was and the writer w- said he was actually like at the test screening or heard about the test screening and was appalled that the audience hated the Glenn Close character because they went out of their way to try to consider her sympathetic. And the audience was so puritanical about this interloper infecting Mm. a family unit that they like basically demanded the ending be changed. And he said it was up to, it was his job as the screenwriter, something he didn't want to do, change the movie to tell Glenn Close that they had to reshoot the ending so her character doesn't have a tragic ending, but instead becomes a super villain. Yeah. And apparently they, they cried. <laughs> like, it, there was actually thought about that at the time. Uh, it's just the audiences demanded... People looked at it through a certain lens. And attraction is very, very key here because... At the heart of a lot of erotic thrillers, there is uh, the fear, desire fear of for se- female
0: sexuality. Well, fear yeah. female
1: sexuality, but for sexuality in general. Yeah. Um, the idea that there is a baseline standard of normality. And maybe it's boring, maybe it's uh, whatever. But people are tempted to leave this very Reaganite era idea of family unity uh, and leave into the world of forbidden sex. And there's always a punishment for it. Mm. Maybe you get out okay maybe you don't, but it's no, a no, dangerous world.
0: No, nobody enters the world of like rough sex and sexuality and think, oh, this is good. And then that's the end. And that's the end of the movie. That would be I'm very, very here, pleasant, yeah. but that's
1: not an erotic thriller. That doesn't, you don't have the thrill element there. Um, so there's a lot of solid explanation or exploration, rather, of a lot of the various themes of these movies. There's a lot of really good interviews, very illuminating interviews, a lot of people who made them. Uh, and I learned some stuff I didn't know, and that's really, really great. And again, this is a genre that is mostly if not forgotten, swept under the rug a little bit. The vast majority of, like, the movies they show clips from, I'm impressed at the work that they did tracking them down and cleaning them up because these movies, a lot of them aren't available anymore. You can't find a lot of them. Some of them you can find on Tubi, but, like, seriously, they're, like, the the credits for this movie, there's, like, literally, like, I think at least uh, 100 movies they show clips Mm -hmm. from. The vast majority are not readily available. This is, like, the industry's dirty little secret that they've All kind right. of like here's, intentionally dropped away.
0: Here's a bit of a secret. Those movies can be found uh. on the porno websites.
1: Mm. those are actually there's that some might people, be where they found them, there's actually. some people
0: yeah. who have like bothered to compile mm. these like nudie pictures mm-hmm. and the, the studios aren't checking the porno websites. No, they don't care. In fact, you can find... Well, they don't even, they don't even know who owns half of these things. A lot of no, them, a lot of just like, like the... Put, put, yeah, a lot of the... Yeah. And, you know, whoever's putting them up, they're not tracking down who those people are. No, they don't, they don't um, care, probably. And in fact, there are even some just pieces of classic cinema lurking yeah. on websites like Pornhub. Just because it has some just, nudity in it. Yeah. No, not, it doesn't just, even have nudity in it. Oh, just they just, some just, put, classic movie. Movie. Oh, they just put a hilarious. classic movie on Pornhub because nobody's going to think to look there to take it down. Yeah,
1: uh, This actually leads me to... So if, if somebody catches you at work yeah. watching Pornhub,
0: <laughs> just say I'm doing film research.
1: This, this leads me to... The here's the thing about this movie is it's it's very long. It's very watchable. Like the, the pacing is mostly okay. But it has two big problems. I don't think they killed the movie, and I think if you have any interest in this subject, you should watch it but you should be aware of two things that the movie either doesn't handle well or glosses over. Uh specifically, the first up, uh the part of the movie where the various performers in various films, uh including like um uh, Doug McClure's daughter uh, did a lot of these for example. Right. Uh there's bits about how later on in their lives and their careers these were working actors. These were not these were not uh um they consider themselves professional actors. They didn't consider themselves pornographic actors. But when their films and their work and their careers were labeled as pornography later mm-hmm. on, the reaction that they have is ironically, uh, weirdly, uh, the word is "horophobic." Okay, it's basically like, oh, I wasn't a, a sex worker. I was mm. an actor who just simulated sex in a lot of movies. And, you know, you can quibble about how you want to label it all you want, but there is a definite, ironic, and unexplored undercurrent of hypocrisy in there where mm-hmm. you made films that were intended to titillate and then you want to accept you that you did them, the, but, but then, yeah, but then like... the performers. And, 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 but you're also pilloring the pornographic industry, which is a legitimate industry, mm-hmm. or at least a lot of it is, uh, in itself. And it's also a genre that actually deserves documentaries exploring it artistically that we're not really getting because people don't want to have that conversation. But regardless, It's a weirdly judgy part of a movie that's trying to argue that these movies shouldn't be judged too hard. So you're saying the
0: filmmakers of this
1: are making that judgment? I don't know if the filmmakers are making that judgment. Certainly some of the interviewers or interviewees are making that judgment, and the movie left it in. And then Uh. the movie didn't... And the movie isn't just interviews. There's a lot of voiceover. They could have countered that, but it's towards the end, and it feels like they're desperate to wrap things up. The other thing that they leave out, and this is just... Either the movie should have been a little shorter and more focused or they needed to make time for this because it's actually a big deal. The movies that this movie talks about are... there. There's some queerness in them. There's some, you know, the occasional yeah, lesbian there's, sex there's, scene yeah, there's, or there's, three-way. There's a, there's a few bisexual women. There's no bisexual man. No. Uh, but even then, those were mostly uh, for you know to titillate the male audience yeah a lot of them are made for women too they're a away from women's perspectives or at the very least encouraging men to consider a woman's sexual perspective which is a good thing but these were very hetero movies yeah um and right at the end of the movie it's two hours and 40 minutes and there's maybe 10 minutes left in the movie they basically say yeah and then they made some queer ones too "Uh, no 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 what the fuck and, and also
0: And David Dakota's back there going,
1: Hey! Yeah Wait a minute Yeah, there's a ton of of queerness in thrillers and yeah, maybe not as much in the nineties, mm-hmm. but you're because you're cutting it off in the nineties, you're also cutting off the parts that are more diverse and have different points of view, and we're not exploring those points of view. Erotic thrillers are still made today, and the movie pays some lip service. To the fact that the genre, although a lot of the sex has been reduced, exists structurally in a lot of lifetime movies. Or someone yeah, has an affair, yeah. and that person tries to kill the family. It's been done a million times. Those are erotic thrillers. There just isn't as much sex in them. There's just there's no eroticism, or very little. Like, um, yeah. Um, what was the um,
0: uh, Ali Larder and obsession? And, yeah, and, and yeah. Beyonce get into yeah. a. A fight and crash yeah. through a table. The movie
1: and there's there's a bit. Uh, it's called Obsession, and uh, it was Idris Elba was the husband of on yeah. that one. And that was and that's an interesting case actually because they tried to sort of bring that genre back. And they mention in the movie that you know in modern context, if you make the Michael Douglas character in Fatal Attraction, and by the way, Idris Elba doesn't even have an affair with Ali Larder. she's just obsessed with him.
0: No, well that that's that's my issue with. And, with I know, that movie. but yes.
1: like regardless, it's like if you but if you change it, to it so that the protagonist is black. In a very white-dominated world, you change the context, don't you? And and he's... Uh, accused of having an affair with a white woman. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So there's a there, there's a lot of you know there's a lot going on in that movie. It's and, not and, very explored it's, very well, but it's it's yeah, in there.
0: I mean, the, the but the tone is there. It's accusatory. Yeah. How
1: you know this? Which yeah. brings me to the other thing that they gloss over: the various films that are not about white people. And here's the thing: there's actually quite a lot of those. Oh, look up Trois. At look some up, point, they, they do um, a few, have a few clips from Trois. There's okay, a few, there's and, and a couple there's, of series sequels too. Yeah, they, they did I think those. there's Like four or five of those I think, at this point. Trois was but... I think the first one was a Mike Figus movie, wasn't it? Twa No. What am I thinking of? I thought the first Twa was Mike Figgis. Uh, but let me look that up. I don't, th- a sing- I don't think so. Two singles so, definitely yeah. were not, but those are straight to video. Um, but the, the, there's a lot of erotic thrillers, straight to video erotic thrillers. Uh, a lot of them starring people of color. A lot of them are coming out on Tubi. Surprising yeah, it, no one.
0: It's, somebody named Rob Hardy did the first Trois. I, I think
1: there's I think... Like, yeah, uh, I feel like Mike Figgis did a menage a trois movie that, that went awry. A Maybe he produced mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Um... But Twa, Twa 2 Pandora's Box yeah, and Twa
0: the Escort
1: yeah there's definitely some I clips like from the Twa, Twa movies but the modern wave of erotic thrillers straight to video erotic thrillers are completely ignored mm. and that's a, that's a lot to ignore that's like a whole world that they don't explore and again I know they're focused on the 90s but you brought it up yeah. That you said, oh, the genre is dead, except maybe for Lifetime movies. They Look at passion flicks, for fuck's sake. They're making the movies. Mm-hmm. You're just... You, you stop well, doing... your they... It's like they suddenly just stopped doing research, which is a little frustrating, considering well, I how I completionist the movie is trying to be.
0: And that's fair, but, you know, the, yeah. I, I think um, this is a very curious time for a documentary like this to be coming out, mm-hmm. because, uh, first of all, erotic thrillers... Are not not in the mainstream at all. Not very uh, much. No. Y- you said they're making passion flicks. Yeah, you know, kinda. But those are, those, those, are those video
1: films are not they're they're, mm. they're not like mainstream. They're not making tons of I money. I suppose exactly. not. And,
0: and you know the the Cinemax was called Skinemax because of mm. these movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, and those movies weren't exactly super popular, but people knew about them. Yeah. Especially young people well, who were getting illicit nudity nudity movies and, uh, and after hours. And
1: in the nineties, they actually got big ratings as well. Mm. They weren't. Yeah. They weren't proud of it but like the Red Chief Diaries was a very popular show yeah they kept on going it, they back they watched like, a lot of those 14 yeah. of those things
0: yeah um but right now like sex in movies is kind of way off to the side mm-hmm. uh and if you want nudity in your films, it's considered... Now well, Now it's all just relegated to pornography. Mostly, yeah. Uh, also, thanks to the rise of the internet, I know a lot of performers have become reluctant to star in sex films. Mm-hmm. They understand uh, that when they sign a contract, I'm going to be in this film with nudity in it, that instantly some mm-hmm. some website designer is going to pluck those nude scenes out of their context yeah. and put them up on a website like Mr. Skin. Mm-hmm. No matter what you're doing, it's now going to be equated with pornography. Yeah. No matter what the context was in the original film. Uh, and a lot of actors aren't comfortable with that. They don't want just the nude pictures to proliferate. There's a lot of cases of actors and actresses who would do nude scenes early in their career because it got them a paycheck, and mm-hmm. they thought it would be it would just vanish forever. Yeah. Now we know. Now we have the internet. You're yeah. Gonna, now it won't. Uh, and it's like gonna be yeah, pre- preserved in perpetuity. My
1: biggest movie I was thinking about was One Night Stand.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, Wesley, yeah. Which is which Wesley is not Snipes the same thing, and, um, but it has kind of
1: a kind of a similar tone. Cool.
0: I, I yeah. remember Wesley Snipes. Who else is in that oh, movie? It's like uh, Jodie Foster or something. No, it um, wasn't Jodie
1: Foster. Uh, it was uh, mm-hmm. Nastasia Kinski. Oh, okay. And Colin McLaughlin and Ming-Na Wen and Robert Downey Jr. Oh, were in wow, it. It was okay. like it had a real cast, yeah. you know. It was right. It was like I think it was his first film after leaving Las Vegas. So people thought it'd be a big deal. It wasn't. Mm-hmm.
0: No. Um, I I I miss Mike Figgis. He made some good films. He He, he, did. he made some sneakers too. But um, yeah. Uh, but right now we're in the middle of this frustratingly persistent discourse about sort of the Mm -hmm. place of nudity in films and
1: And, and sex scenes in general yeah, yeah,
0: and sex scenes in general. And there's this weird kind of uh, puritanical streak
1: that we, that that audiences are self-enforcing, which is is the frustrating part. I I, uh, I think that's a really complicated topic uh, that I think a lot of people on both, on both sides of that topic are quick to reduce yeah. I think there's a lot of people who their perspective on I, I don't I'm not particularly interested in seeing sex in movies so I think there should be none that's reductive I think there's a lot of people who are fine and interested in mm. uh, fine with and interested in seeing sex scenes in movies whether or not they're important to the plot because it's part of the human experience both of these things are reasonable it's okay to say I'm not interested and I I, I don't want to spend money on that mm. you know, I don't that's okay to say what you want mm. it is okay to say what you want—that you want more eroticism in films. Both of these things are fine, but on one hand, you run this risk of stigmatizing portrayals of sexuality mm-hmm. in the media, which leads to again more homophobia, more demonization mm-hmm. of sex workers. Mm-hmm. Their jobs are hard enough as it is. If there's no sex, there's no queer sex, and then also, there's no queer people. Exactly. Then uh, you run into um, representation issues. On the other hand, and this is something I don't see a lot of people saying, uh, a lot of these uh, so-called sexless movies that Hollywood is making and everyone's just like hey this is unhealthy uh speaking as an asexual uh there's also an element of this that maybe is unexplored on both sides of that debate that we've had a lot of films kind of from an asexual perspective
0: yeah, in a narrative uh, sense, rather, intentionally
1: or otherwise. I was, was going
0: to say, it's it's certainly yeah. not intentional. Uh, and Perhaps not, what, but it's still, it's still what, in the media. What I would like to see, if if this yeah. is being told from an asexual perspective, for a character to say that. I agree. I, I want that in dialogue. And it's again, like, we, if, if Iron Man said, um, or yeah. Iron Man is... Iron Man,
1: he wouldn't, but like, you He
0: know. has you know, yeah. girlfriends, but if one of the characters, like yeah. Captain America, is like, yeah. oh, I'm not going to date Peggy, I'm actually just not into sex. Well, you can, uh, but
1: there's also, yeah. the asexuality is a spectrum. You can be romantic, but just not want the sexual intercourse for example yeah there's that it's a whole world that honestly i think a lot of the discourse about mm-hmm. this is kind of ignoring and again you know yeah it's not explicitly stated but a lot of representation isn't explicitly stated before it is explicitly stated mm-hmm. there's the entire movie the celluloid closet about that yeah so i, I you know, don't know if that's intentional or not but speaking as someone who is ace and is, is in that spectrum um i've feel like we're being a little rude about that. And this whole thing like, oh, if you want to have if you don't have sex in your movies, you're being unhealthy. I'm like, or you're ace. Mm. That's gotta be okay too. Like, we're being a little dismissive i think that's something that's
0: but this the the, the discourse that i'm hearing isn't yeah. coming from ace people it's coming well, i think from, we're not it's we're coming listen it's coming to. from well maybe not there, but, there's, there's, uh, i don't
1: and, i don't feel that that's a very welcoming space for me to speak up i suppose not you uh, know because and, people are saying you can, you're unhealthy if are not interested in sex well but and the, i'm like this, hey this is um, gonna
0: this gives you an opportunity to say i don't want to well, see, well, see sex because i'm ace well, not because
1: i'm approved. i i am ace I'm fine with seeing sex. Mm. I have no problem with it. It's mm. just I also, when there isn't sex in a movie, I don't feel like it's missing. Okay. I don't think to myself, you know, what this movie needed was a few sex scenes. Like, I, I, it, it, if there is actually justification for it, and it's not there, fine. But I'm noticing that a lot of movies don't actually need it. Mm. And I think that that's okay yeah, well, to say. It's okay to it's say okay just to my say taste that, it falls but, to. Um, I don't really feel like seeing yeah. a lot of sex scenes, much as if you said, I don't really want to see a lot of action sequences. Which which I say frequently. Which is um... fine, right? I mean, it's just Mm. a matter of preference. So I think there's more... I think it's a really complicated conversation on a variety of levels, and I think just putting out a tweet about how all of this is bad or all Mm. of this is bad is not getting into it enough. There's a lot more to it. But in any case, back to this movie. Um, If you have any interest in erotic thrillers as a genre, in film noir, in the history of 90s cinema, in the history of straight-to-video cinema, uh, in this very specific topic... Um, This is definitely a good movie. There aren't a lot of other options about this type of material. And I think they do a mostly admirable job. But they... Again, these types of movies shouldn't be the end of the conversation. They should be the start. And so the fact that they leave some things out is frustrating because it's very long and they're trying to include everything anyway. And the fact that they don't is annoying because they're trying to be comprehensive but it gives me an opportunity to say here's what they missed and other critics have said this as well so uh, I'll just throw it out there but yeah it's mostly it's a very good documentary and I don't want to show people I don't want to tell people not to see it just because they don't get everything right. right but what they get in there is very very good all right and then that, the, that, that is frustrating though i yeah.
0: like you you have like an insight that the documentary filmmakers didn't come up
1: with I, I see that a lot sometimes i watch youtube videos mm. from people who are talking about you know old movies or the film industry or whatever like that and You know, sometimes I'm learning things, and other times I'm like, ah, you left out a lot of context, what the shit is this? And And it's very frustrating. I
0: usually try to keep an open mind, you know, I'm a critic, it's my job, and try to sort of... See, because you can't well, present not, everything, and so you have not to not. choose which information you're going to present. But sometimes and it's so, and sometimes you do that in order to make a more explicit well, point. That, every documentary that, has yeah. to cut something out, yeah. Unless you're
1: somehow unless making... you're just filming everything that ever happens everywhere, yeah. Or or all of a specific instance. But regardless, it's like you you choose. I'm sure they had tons of interview footage that got left on the cutting room floor. They didn't get clips from every single movie. They they there's a ton of uh uh, material I'm sure they got cut they had to pick and choose what to put in I'm sure there was a longer version they cut down I'm sure as with any documentarian the director agonized over what to leave in and what to leave out and if the director is listening right now and they're like I wanted that in there I couldn't I had to cut something and now I'm regretting maybe I don't know that's a possibility but as an audience member who actually came in knowing some of this uh quite a bit actually or at least having a lot of experience with the genre um what was left out was frustrating and the attitude that the uh, film is happy to leave us or at least content to leave us with about a lot of these performers and how they, uh, you know, became horphobic about like, you know, how they would be perceived uh, is frustratingly judgmental for a movie that's supposed to be about sort of justifying the existence of the genre. Apart from those two things, and those are mostly at the end of the documentary quite good. Uh, And then lastly, tell me about Fremont. Okay, uh,
0: Fremont uh, is yeah. uh, a, a rather interesting uh, low-key indie drama. Okay, uh, the kind of indie drama that's shot in one three seven aspect ratio and in black and white. Oh my god! But, like we haven't had one of those in a second,
1: right? Yeah,
0: did, did we're you just, just... For, a,
1: for an aesthetic choice. I'm it's imagining like a, you I... drooling in the theater. Like, it's oh, like, this is made for me. It's like you
0: were talking about, uh, you know, erotic thrillers of the 90s. This one also slipped through, like, some portal from the 90s. Because I feel like we got used to get a lot more of films yeah. kind of like that. This, that's what and... Sundance just looked like for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, we got this ni- nice Academy classic ratio, black and white photography. Uh, lo- looks lovely, by the way. It's mm. actually, like, sort of thoughtfully put together. But also very clearly put together on a low budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of just sort of casual noodling around between the characters, uh, it takes place, it's called Fremont, it takes place in Fremont, California, mm-hmm. which is a little town um, on the south of the San Francisco Bay. Yeah. Cal- um, so you, I don't you, think I've ever been, but I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so, so um, the main character lives in Fremont, but works in San Francisco. She drives into the city. Uh, the main character is named Donya. She's played by an actress named uh, Anaita Zada, okay.
1: and
0: she's an Afghani mm. uh, refugee. Oh, yeah. She, uh, In fact, this is present day, so she was one of the people who got on one of those escape planes when, uh, ah. the, when the war was declared over, and yeah. the Taliban just sort of rushed in and took over Kabul. Yeah. Uh, so she got on a plane, She got and uh, she got out of there.
1: Okay.
0: And now she works at a fortune cookie factory in San Francisco. Okay. And there is a lot of loving detail given to how these fortune cookies are made by hand. Uh, people sort of extrude the dough out, they flatten them down by hand, they have to cut those little slips of fortune cookie fortunes, like by hand with one of those big paper slicers. Uh Uh, And there's somebody there who's writing all of those. And there's a gentle art to writing fortune cookie fortunes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in order to make sure that they got like actual people in here, uh, there's a bit where we see sort of where the fortunes are going. Like people are finishing up their meals. They're opening up their fortune mm. cookies. We're going to go to their, uh, their living rooms, see them eating and see them opening their cookies. Oh, look, there's boots. Riley. He's just oh. one, one of the guys who's eating like he's there with his kid. That's he's just okay. eating a fortune cookie. And he got, he has one ah. scene boots. Riley looking at him. That's fine. Um, play, playing himself.
1: Presumably. A, that, that also feels a, very 90s. It feels like something Jim Jarmusch would have done yeah, it's in like some a, movie. Just all of a sudden, Tom Waits shows up for like one scene, oh, okay. oh, hey, I'm really cool. Okay, bye. Like well, he would,
0: show, he would star in whole movies. Okay, Tom Waits John, is a bad example, John, but like. Jim Jarmusch, yeah. but yeah. You like, look
1: at something like Smoke, where just people just wander in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stalker Jennings. Yeah. you at the end, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love Smoke, by the way. Wayne, Wayne yeah. Wayne's Smoke is, a, is an excellent yeah. film.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, not Jim
0: Jarmusch, but yeah. S- similar uh, vibe. Uh, but, um, she is, uh, Fremont, California has, actually has a pretty big Afghani population, but she is unbearably alone. Mm. Uh, she has a neighbor, an Afghani neighbor in her building who has made an appointment to see, uh, like a public shrink, like a therapist. Okay. And he needs to, he's been waiting for like a slip of paper and he's been waiting for eight months to mm. see a shrink. Oh, and he gets this invite. And when he gets it, he's not really sure he wants to go. So she just takes his invite and goes in his place. And there's some like a debate. you're not really supposed to do it that way. But she ends up going to see this shrink. The Shrink is played by Greg Turkington.
1: Oh, Neil who, Hamburger. Who, yeah,
0: who you might know as Neil Hamburger. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Uh, he's not playing the Neil Hamburger. He's playing, yeah. like, a Shrink who's really into the book White Fang. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like, he uses all of his... Like, all of his psychology comes from White Fang. and the, the dog <laughs> character is, like, his, his favorite
1: thing in the whole world. It's, it's, like, uh, uh, it's like the counselor on Lower Decks. So all of his metaphors are food.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it's because we have... Uh, scenes with the shrink we got to know all about her backstory because she tells the shrink everything Mm. so that's how we know she fled afghanistan and she's come here and he asks her why did you choose the united states she says i didn't choose the united states i just wanted out Mm. i would have gone to germany i would have gone to any other country but i came to the united states Mm. uh and uh i just need sleeping pills because i can't sleep she has insomnia yeah and she's like Really zoned out. She's at her doing her job at the, the fortune cookie factory. She goes to have the same meal every night at the local mm. Afghani restaurant. She uh, watches uh, like these Persian dramas on TV with the restaurant owner. Nobody else seems to be in the restaurant. Yeah. And she kind of makes fun of him for watching these like tawdry TV shows. And that's her life. And it, she lives in a, has a single bed. She has a, a best friend. She's played by um, mm. Hilda Schmeling and they hang out but they're not really connecting like mm-hmm. they don't have a warm relationship that's just sort of friendly yeah and uh when one one of her something happens in her in her life where she uh, gets to take over the job of writing fortunes and She's, you know, told there's a gentle art to it. It can't, it can't be too obvious, but it has to be a little obvious because it is a fortune cookie fortune. Yeah, it can't be uh,
1: severe. It can't be negative anymore. Yeah, it can't be can't can't it it too
0: anymore. positive. can't be too negative. Uh, yeah. it, you know, it has can't can't be too long. can't be too short. There's actually all these different rules. Yeah. And at one point she just says, desperate
1: for a dream, here's my phone number.
0: And she starts putting her phone number in fortune cookies.
1: <laughs> That's a cute yeah. idea. Yeah. That's a fun idea for... that. And that is uh, so Sundance 90s. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. You know, yeah.
0: And, uh... She ends up uh, getting getting some calls. She ends up getting busted. Uh, a lot of uh, various uh, adventures. And um, also the bears in the movie. Um, uh, Jeremy uh, Allen White. Jeremy Allen White. Oh, the, From the guy. TV series oh, The Bear. He, his Bart name bear. is not The Bear. Um, okay.
1: I've actually never... Not, not, seen not,
0: and not Bart The Bear, the bear yeah, performer from I, bear
1: movies. I, everyone um, everyone tells me that show is great. I haven't seen it yet. I'm sorry.
0: I, I don't know the name of his character in The Bear. I just know he's the star of the okay. TV show. I guess he,
1: he's probably The Bear.
0: I know the, the restaurant is called the Bear. He, oh, the restaurant's
1: called the Bear. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I thought maybe it was a nickname or I, something. I know that much. I it's know the restaurant metaphor. is called the Bear. I don't okay. know the name of his character. I'd have to look Got it up. Got it.
0: Uh it's it's really uh shabby. In that 90s indie film kind okay, of way. Okay. But
1: that that's I mean, do you mean that in a bad way?
0: Well, it's just descriptive. It, it's okay. a shabby film and that uh it kind of meanders often in one direction doesn't like find anything conclusive kind of moves back and forth between these various elements of her life without a lot of grace. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, I'm willing to forgive a lot of that when, if it sort of has a little bit of direction, a little bit of character, a little bit of gumption. Right. Um, the filmmaker, uh, let me look up as Babak Jalali. Um, Mm -hmm. he's an Iranian filmmaker. Uh, he made a couple of films that I haven't seen. He made a film called radio dreams, uh, yeah. Either, yeah, yeah. See what else were some of his movies? He has he, been like in and out of like the festival circuit for okay. a while there. And and indeed, this one played at Fremont played at Sundance. Uh, he he still feels like he's um. There are certain filmmakers who kind of stay within their indie roots, who never kind of move into like bigger uh, areas. You think of somebody like mm. Hal Hartley or. or uh, or more so, Henry Jaglom.
1: Uh, yeah, if, if you yeah, if you know who yeah. Henry Jaglom
0: is, like he yeah. he only ever made like really tiny budget movies, and that's yeah. all I think that's all he ever was interested in doing. Like there, you're not going to tap Henry Jaglom to
1: make Iron Man. Uh, could we though? Because I think that would have been great for yeah, everyone. That would have been really interesting. He could have funded a million of his movies, and everyone like, would have inter- yeah, had a much more interesting. Yeah, everyone could have had a much more interesting. I I don't like Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, that would have been better if Henry Jaglom had directed.
0: Tana Frederick would have a mansion. Uh, okay, Tana Frederick was the actress who was in all of Henry Jaglom's movies. Henry yeah. Jaglom made a lot of movies, uh, like ind- just sort of these like little independent dramedies. Uh,
1: very prolific. Yeah. He made one after what, the other. His most famous movie. I
0: don't even know. I, it's been a while since Is I've it, even thought
1: about Henry Jaglom. Yeah, hold on, I'm gonna look at uh, his filmography and just see. Yeah, Henry Jaglom. Good old Henry Jaglom. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I, what what would people would people know him now? Not really sure. Did we just blow up someone's mind and tell him Henry Jaglom exists? Henry, yeah. Um, Tana Frederick has
0: has is yeah. his wife and has been his wife for a while, uh, and he's been making movies since the '70s. Um he made one in 2017. Oh yeah, he hasn't made a movie yeah. for a couple yeah. of years. It's trained as Zuko Pani. Uh, I don't. I don't even know if I'm proud. But it has that right. but it has Tana Frederick in it? Of course it fucking does anyway okay, just 45 minutes from broadway uh, maybe yeah. going shopping i honestly don't know baby fever eating might be his big one maybe he made a yeah. film called e- in 1990 called eating you might mm. know that one okay um anyway but uh, I, i'm I, we're talking about these filmmakers because i that's the vibe i'm getting from balak Jalal. it's a fun vibe yeah um he's he's clearly like trying to stay a little bit more lo-fi uh you know he's shooting in black and white he's not trying to romanticize Fremont, California, like it's supposed mm. to be this kind of unremarkable uh, place. Very, yeah, very yeah. plain kind of a town. And uh, when when the main character goes into San Francisco, she's just going there to work. So we only see yeah. sort of like the interiors. It's not like, oh, and here's the big city, and it's like there's all this possibility and adventure. No, she's just going there for a
1: job. Right.
0: She's. It doesn't matter that she's going to a big city. She's alone. And she doesn't have a lot to, to share. She doesn't have a lot in common with a lot of people. And it's one of those movies about our desperate need to connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very gentle. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's okay. I mean. it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of soft. There's not going to be we a huge punch at the end. It's, yeah. it's you know, gentle kind of quiet catharsis that happen in small ways on on the road. Um which which i appreciate if you like that kind of lo-fi drama this is this is that thing for you but like i said it's really shabby mm-hmm.
1: it's not going to grab you mm-hmm. and it's not which mean which kind of keeps it from being great well i think it also sounds less like a critique so much as uh, preparing the audience for what they're going to get yeah you got to sure. be you got to go into a movie of the ilk of what we've described uh, with the right mindset, because if you're expecting something else, you're not going to be open to appreciating yeah, so, what it actually
0: is. So there's there's some mo- yeah. moments of uh, quiet drama. There's some yeah. moments of, like, quirky comedy. Like, the, the Greg Turkington character is, like, his scenes are mostly supposed to be kind of comedic. Um, and, yeah, it never becomes hugely funny. It never becomes hugely dramatic. It just mm-hmm. sort of percolates there in the middle. And that's, yeah. that's a comfortable place to ride along for
1: mm-hmm. a little
0: bit. Also, the movie's 91 minutes. It okay. doesn't need to be yeah. a second long. But... Okay.
1: All right. Well, um, All right. Well. I guess that's it for this week's reviews. Again, mm-hmm. Labor Day weekend, not that many films. Uh, it is time to review our films on a scale of C- to C+, as is the critically acclaimed way. Uh, we review films on that scale. Uh, uh, C- is considered above average. We consider that to be what you might call a good movie. Mm. Like, solidly, maybe it's not the best movie ever, but we definitely recommend you seek it out. Uh, a C is average. You know, there's maybe a bit of a mixed bag, maybe more for one audience than another. Average. And that a C- is below average. Those are movies that we would generally call not good movies. Uh, and while, you know, you welcome disagree with us, we're saying we wouldn't necessarily recommend you run out and see them. On that note, Whitney, Fremont. Fremont, it's a C-. Uh, okay it, just to see
0: yeah um and it, it's my kind of movie i like this kind of film. But you
1: can give it um, higher but, than that if you want i mean no
0: well i mean there's there's good and there's bad of this kind of thing and this okay. is this is a pretty good version of that but it's not
1: a great version of that okay. so it's a scene. all right fair scene. enough your call mm. i didn't see it i can't i can't judge um let's see we kill for love um i have critiques but overall it's incredibly like enjoyable to watch for the most part. They did a lot of effort into it. It's very, it's mostly very thorough. And I think mm -hmm. if you don't know enough about this at all, if you don't, if you completely, if you, if you don't know about the genre or you have been dismissive of the genre, this will be incredibly illuminating. And I think it's definitely worth checking out. If you're interested in movies, documentaries about film history, especially film history that has largely been swept under the rug, I can't help but recommend this movie. So even though it's a little imperfect at the end, it mostly does a great thing. Okay. So I'm going to give it a C plus. I think this is certainly one of the better films about filmmaking I've seen in a while. Uh, and then uh, lastly, The Equalizer 3.
0: Uh, also a C. Okay. Th- 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 this, ain't, this ain't reinventing the wheel. This is actually <laughs> just making another wheel. But it's a pretty good wheel. Yeah. So, yeah, C.
1: Yeah, I'm going to give it a very high C. I All think right. it is, uh, you know, if you're really into this kind of movie... Your mileage might vary. You might be way more into it than I am, but I think it is kind of unremarkably great <laughs> in a way. Like, like it's it's like so unremarkable that the fact that it's very well constructed and then so Washington's really good in it, and that its flaws are mostly just like ah Dakota Fanning didn't have enough to do. Mm. Um, like they don't really hurt it, but it's not a lot like. It, it it never feels like oh I'm so glad I saw the Equalizer three yeah you know but if you end up seeing the Equalizer three I th- I think you'll have you, a good you, you time you won't I think you'll appreciate it, but you don't have to I think to you'll appreciate it, it. it's it's a relatively like confident restrained piece of action genre filmmaking I think it's definitely the best in the series but that's not saying a lot mm. it's not saying nothing because it's not like they're all crap or anything but like it's it's pretty good. Okay. That's what. I, that's as far as I'll go with it. Oh, um, and I just want Antoine Fuqua to
0: start shooting his movies. Di- like tell his DP, <laughs> tell his DPs to do what they want uh-huh. rather than dictating what I, he I, wants. I,
1: I actually think Ralph Richardson does some interesting stuff in this mm. movie, but it's it's in between a lot of uninteresting stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So we. There, there, there's a scene
0: where the bad guy is like out mm. on a speedboat. He's like, "I'm yeah. bad guy. I'm gonna ride drive around in this switch speedboat. Like boats. out out in in the Italian. That's just, that should look like." romantic and sexy and well the sky have to i suppose not but you know every if everything's like if the sea looks gray uh-huh. and the sky is just like uh, this blanket of white rather than you know the beautiful Italian skyline I don't it's know, not man. gonna it's, look interesting
1: go. I, I don't know man i don't think it's the it's I guess it's a little escapist because he likes that town so much, but I don't Mm. think it's like a Bond film where everything has to look super pretty.
0: I I suppose not, but it it should look appealing because it's supposed to be
1: appealing to Robert McCall. It's part of the movie. But (laughs) he's not in that scene. That's that guy. That guy is living in a... Okay. We're not going to get to that. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with reviews of films like The Nun 2 and My Big Fat Greek Wedding
0: 3. Uh, They missed an opportunity not calling it Second to Nun. That, that would have been a great, great title. That would be just, great. I'm not, I, you know what, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to call you. The
1: Nun two. I want to make it clear that I didn't make that joke. <laughs> Everyone would assume if you would said which ghost of the show made that joke. I think most people would assume it was me. That one wasn't me. Right. <laughs> wow. Or or, or
0: none two punch. That they could have called it that. I don't even get that one. Because because it sounds like one two punch. No.
1: Okay, so we'll be back next week with reviews of that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for joining us if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode. Except my puns. Don't write about that. Please I know, I know they're terrible. Uh, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode or anything at all, you want us to espouse on any topic of your choice, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at net. We also have a P.O. Box. Whitney, what is that? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the critically acclaimed
0: network. P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064.
1: Do it today. Yep. Uh, we are on the various social medias uh, at Critic Acclaim. On Blue Sky and Twitter, I am at William Biani, on at, Blue Sky Twitter and Instagram. Uh, same, uh, same, same socials. Yeah. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and uh, thank you to all of our patrons. Without our patrons, we couldn't do this. If you want to listen to our new episodes ad-free, you can join our Patreon. Even $1 a month, you get that. Uh, and uh, we also have a lot of exclusive shows over there. So that's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Thank you to everyone who pitches in. It means a lot to us. Thank you, everybody, once again. Have a great week. And never forget, everyone's a critic. Ah. I
0: wanna go to the Midnight Show! I'm sorry, what?